So in verse 3, he said, Surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And we see in this verse uh, a prophecy, uh, again, of this horrible precedent of a king murdering previous king's sons. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Baasha was not a blood descendant of Jeroboam, but he was a spiritual descendant of this great idolater of the northern kingdom. Because he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the house of Baasha would face the same judgment as the house of Jeroboam. This same judgment was promised and fulfilled against the house of Jeroboam. It was considered a special disgrace to have your dead corpse desecrated and kept from proper burial. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. Bringing the judgment of God upon him, and this is why there will be no true peace until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes back for us, his bride, the church, at the rapture of the church, which we hope would be any moment now. Wouldn't that be great before we end the service? It'd be great actually right now. I don't need to finish. I'd be very much, I'd be very happy to be interrupted by the Lord at any time, even in my most holy moment, whenever that may be. Lord, interrupt. Interrupt on a Sunday morning and take us. Before I even open my mouth and and impugn myself. (laughs) Open heaven and bring us, take us, Lord, to yourself. But until then, there's only going to be, you know, uh, until the Prince of Peace comes back to rule on this earth for a thousand years. Until then, we're going to see corruption. We're going to see sinful man and humanism trying to make its way, trying to express itself. Corruption and murder. Sounds like a lot like today. In fact, as I read this chapter, and as we have already read it, it reminds me a lot of the United States. We are in a really bad place. And it's really important that we, as the church, that we repent of things that we know of, that we won't get to a place, I believe the Lord, the Bible says very clearly that judgment starts first in the house of God. Meaning, he wants to deal with us. He wants to change us so that we can be prepared and ready for him, to be used by him in whatever way he chooses. And, and I know that that's his desire, and yet I find myself like that dog who is being taken for a walk that doesn't want to be taken for a walk, and he, he puts out his legs, and the owner is trying to drag him, and he's just like resisting it, and the, and the, and the collar is nearly over his ears because the owner is trying to 
pull the dog forward. I don't want to be like that. And folks, now is the time. The church, we need to arise. We need to arise out of the dust. We need to shake off our grave clothes. We need to shake off our deadness. We need revival in the church. I need revival. You need revival because you can't re. The the term revival means that something was alive, but the flame is going out or has gone out and needs to be revived. It's not evangelism. We evangelize the lost and the dead. But the church is the only entity that needs to be and can be revived, if it wills. That we don't sound, that we don't become like Israel. Because our country has become like Israel, following its idols. It has been for a long time. In Galatians chapter 6, it says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And yes, as we read these chapters, and as we read already, we see them sowing to the wind and reaping the whirlwind because they have thrown off and cast off that cord that God has sent. When you think of Psalm 2, you know they've taken this wonderful umbilical cord that's supposed to be attached to God, and they've taken that cord and they said, No, thank you. And they've cast it off from them. And therefore, the child, us, we no longer receive the nutrients from our Heavenly Father. We no longer receive the blessings from God. We're no longer under the spout where the blessings come out. We've decided to cast away His cords from us. Any hope of help, we've cast away. And we wonder why we are at, why we are at where we are at today. So we need to learn to walk in God's ways. And may as we read these things, may it really change us because there is nothing new under the sun. I believe that. It's just repackaged in a different form. And Satan never uses a new thing. He always uses the old thing. And the reason he uses the old thing is because it always works. And especially to the natural man who is unregenerate, to the natural man who does not have the Spirit of God in him, he will fall into the ditch and he'll fall to the ploys and the, and the schemes of Satan every single time. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We looked at that as we looked at Matthew 4 on Sundays. The same things that were the Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the garden were the very in the first Adam were the very same things that Satan used on the last Adam, Jesus Christ. The same things, except it didn't work on Jesus. It didn't work on him. But we need to learn learn to walk in God's ways and not the ways of man and the humanistic endeavors of the world and. Um, So may the Lord give us an awakening in our country and a revival within the church to the end that we and many might be saved. That many might be saved and turn to Christ before the end. And I believe we are very close to the end. Every church, the church has been saying that for hundreds of years. But I believe we are at the end of the end. And the reason I believe that is because of the signs. Because of the things that are around us, the things that we've been reading in Revelation, how closely aligned, and all these things are getting closer and closer, so close we can almost 
see them coming to fruition, and yet God in His grace is giving us time. And folks, like Israel, and what we've read tonight already, the United States is in that place. We've gone our own way. We've thrown off God. They don't teach Christ in the schools. They teach evolution. They teach critical race theory. They teach gender. You can be whatever you want. They'll even give you a bathroom of confusion. So let's look at verse 1 again. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha, saying, Inasmuch as I lifted you out of the dust. Now, this phrase, I've lifted you out of the dust, this literally is God's way of saying, I lifted you out of obscurity, out of this lowly place. Because this guy, this man, Baasha, wasn't, uh, he was not a son of Jeroboam. In fact, the line of kings. Uh, had, had been broken already because Jeroboam had a son Nadab and it's this Baasha that, um, that not only killed Baasha or, or killed Nadab but then killed the rest of his family. Killed the rest of the family of, uh, of Jeroboam. But now a man who is not even a, a son of Jeroboam, now he's, he's just a man of Issachar. He's just a man of Israel. He's not even part of the, the line of Jeroboam, just a man of Israel from the line of Issachar. Now he's king over Israel after doing this dastardly deed of murdering this man and then killing his whole family. And again, he was fulfilling the word of the Lord, which is kind of interesting, and we'll get into that. But notice what it says in verse 2, that God says, I've lifted you out of the dust and I've made you ruler over my people. Are you, and, you, and you have walked in the way of Jeroboam and have made my people sin to provoke me to anger. Isn't that interesting? God could say, I've made you ruler over my people. And when he says this, uh, that he made Baasha ruler over his people, it, it means that God allowed it. It doesn't mean that he forced it, that he made it to happen. He allowed it to happen based on Baasha's evil and treacherous actions of his own heart. See, there's God's perfect will and then there's God's permissive will. When he allows something to happen, even though it's not his will to happen, he will allow things to happen. And that's why, that's why people struggle so much. Why did God allow that infant to be run over by a car? Why did he allow that, that person who had never been married and you know, on their wedding day, you know, she got in a car and had to go do something and, and she was killed in it? Why, God? And we don't understand because we don't have the mind of God. Had we had the mind of God, we would say, Lord, you're sovereign and you're right in what you did. We don't understand it. But there's things that we just don't understand. And those holy, wonderful, mysterious things belong to God alone. And it's okay to question it. <laughs> but don't let it shipwreck your faith. Why did he allow Baasha to kill Nadab and his family? And notice that God calls the ruler of his people to account first. He calls Baasha. He led the people in sin, just like Jeroboam did, but he held the man who was in charge accountable first and foremost because he continued to perpetuate that sinful, idolatrous lifestyle. 
that idolatrous worship. He continued it, and God was going to hold him accountable to it. And instead of, you know, he could have enjoyed God's blessings, but instead he chose evil, and the result is always God's judgment. So in verse 3, he said, Surely I will take away the posterity of Baasha and the posterity of his house, and I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And we see in this verse uh, a prophecy, uh, again, of this horrible precedent of a king murdering previous king's sons. And unfortunately, that gets perpetuated as we go along. And we've already seen a couple iterations of it in what we read already. But we also see, uh, we saw it first when Nadab... uh, Jeroboam's son was murdered by this Baasha. And then Baasha murdered all the house of Jeroboam, which was a fulfillment. Get this. This is really interesting. It was a fulfillment of of prophecy that was given by Ahijah the prophet to Jeroboam's wife. And we read that when we were in 1 Kings chapter 14 and verse 10 and 11. And let me just read it to you. Verse 10 and 11 of chapter 14, it says this. It says, therefore, and this is Ahijah uh, the prophet speaking to Jeroboam's wife who was uh, disguised, coming to him. He says, therefore, and God is speaking through the prophet, therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam, notice, every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. And the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field and the Lord has and the, for the Lord has spoken and then arise because when you get to your house Mrs. Jeroboam your son is is going to die and so God brings him brings judgment upon him there came a time in Jeroboam's life where God said okay you've crossed the Rubicon and I'm so glad that only God knows that Rubicon But I've known people that have flirted with sin long enough, even as a Christian, they've flirted with sin, maybe had an addiction or something, and they never kicked it, they never took it seriously, and and, and they go on for years, and all of a sudden, you're, you're just wondering, and you hear about this, and you're like, God, how is this possible? Is this person really saved? And the person may be saved, they may just be really stuck in a in a habitual, horrible sin. And sometimes God just takes them home. They cross that line, and nobody likes that, but I've seen it. And I don't know where that line is for each of us. I hope none of us ever flirt with that line, that Rubicon. It's an invisible line that each one of us has, and God has a way of, and I don't know where that is, because sometimes he allows somebody to get caught and corrected quickly, and then there are other times where years go by and it just festers and festers. And then one day the spring is trapped, the trap is sprung, and, and it's a horrible thing. But notice verse 4, the dogs will eat whoever belongs to Baasha and dies in the city and the birds, etc. But notice a very undignified way to die, uh, and, and they weren't supposed to die like that. They were supposed to sleep with their fathers. After their body had been consumed, they would take the bones and put them in an ossuary, a bone box of all your family relatives, and you'd all be in this ossuary together. That's the way they used to bury people. But not out in the open field, left for the the birds and the, and the, the animals to eat. 
But that's the result and the consequence of sin, God says. And like Yehu, here in chapter 16, we'll see God sending prophets to the kings of the northern ten tribes. And whenever a prophet comes to you, you had better listen. And we're going to see this as we go through the, the Old Testament, because God has either words of warning, or they may be words of judgment. Sometimes they're instructional. Sometimes they are meant to bring comfort. But most, more often than not, it's to bring correction, or judgment, or um, warning with the intent to get you to turn from your ways. That's how much God loves us. He will send somebody to tell us and to warn us. But we have this horrible thing that we can do and this horrible free will that we have. It's scary to me. Sometimes I wished I was a robot. Sometimes I wished I was programmed to just love God. But how great would that love be if I had no other way than to just love him and, and I, I didn't have any I couldn't rebel against him. There's something about love when it's given a choice. And when that heart chooses to love, even though the choice is there, they always choose love and they always prefer the other over themselves. That is an amazing, amazing thing, and it's what brings and keeps marriages together. Pray for that love. Pray for that agape love to just fill all of us. For our spouses, for our friends, for our neighbors, co-workers, everything. But when a prophet comes, he's coming. And there's a reason for it. And we see it in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 29 through 30, 39. God uses the prophet Ahijah to speak to Jeroboam, to warn him and, and to tell him of what's coming. Or, or I'm sorry, in, in, that, in that verse, uh, God was telling uh, Jeroboam that he was going to be the next king of the northern ten tribes. But he had better walk a, a fine line. And God encouraged him to walk in a right way. And God would bless him. So a prophet speaks to him. We see it in, um, in, in 1 Kings chapter 12. God, God sending Shemaiah to speak to Rehoboam about not going to war with his brethren in the north. A, a prophet intervenes. In, in 1 Kings chapter 13, a man of God who prophesied against the altar that Jeroboam was sacrificing on and doing these idolatrous things in, in Dan and Bethel, whose prophecy ultimately would not come to pass until another 290 years when Josiah would be born. And we see prophets coming, a prophet coming, and in 1 Kings 14, Ahijah the prophet prophesying against Jeroboam and against his house and against his son. That was the prophecy of Ahijah speaking to Jeroboam's wife. And now here in chapter 16, Yehu, notice another prophet, is sent by God. And he's sent to Baasha specifically to pronounce judgment upon him for his idolatry and leading the people into Israel. So God is serious. If we're not listening, he'll send somebody else to come talk to us. So it behooves us then, doesn't it, to really listen. To listen to the scripture to not be thinking about it just for somebody else, but thinking about it primarily for me. Because as I open the Bible, God wants to speak to me. He doesn't want to necessarily speak to me about somebody else's problem. He wants me to deal with my problem. That's what he wants. First and foremost, that's what he wants. 
But notice in verse 5, Now the rest of the acts of Baasha, what he did and his might, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? And again, this collection of books is, is not extant. Mean, it's, it's not available. It's been lost. We don't know where it is. So Baasha rested, verse 6, with his fathers and was buried in Tirzah. And then Elah, his son, reigned in his place. And again, rested with his fathers just means that he died and was buried with his, with his ancestors. And also the word of the Lord came by the prophet Yehu, the son of Hanani, against Baasha and his house, because of all the evil that he did in the sight of the Lord, and provoking him to anger with the work of his hands, and being like the house of Jeroboam. Notice how God, as he relates to these kings, remember in, the, in Judah, just a few chapters ago, when it spoke of the, the kings of Judah, God was always comparing them to David. Well, now, in the northern ten tribes, you're going to see God comparing their evil with the evil of Jeroboam. And it's usually something like this. And he did evil just like his father, Jeroboam, did. And even did worse than this, to provoke God to anger. And yes, we can provoke the Lord to anger by our actions as individuals, as countries. Notice in verse 8, So now in the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, Elah, the son of Baasha, became king over Israel and reigned two years in Tirzah. Now, as, again, as we go through kings, you've got to understand that there's, these, there's, there's an overlapping of, of, of time. Uh, you know, because it's talking about one king, and that king may, his reign may have lasted 20 years, and in that 20 years, there may have been a couple kings in, in, in one of the other uh, tribes, or, in, you know, north or south. And so the Bible gives us, in context uh, of that king, you know, these other kings, but then it, then it also makes sure that it gives the account of that king in, a, in the next chapter. So it seems like you're kind of going forward and then rewinding and going back and looking. But just understand that that's really what the, the Word of God is trying to accomplish there. So now, uh, the servant, the servant of, of Elah, the son of Baasha, Zimri, commander, notice, of half of his chariots, he conspired against him as he was in Tirzah, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of the house in Tirzah. So we're going to see two men. We're going to see this man named Zimri, and later on we're going to see Omri battling for the throne. And Zimri was commander over the half of Elah's chariots, but Omri, we're going to find out later, as we have already read, he was the commander of the entire army. So he's the, he's the commander of the army, and so this uh, Zimri was really a subordinate, um, we believe, to Omri. And yet it was Omri, or I'm sorry, yet it was uh, uh, Zimri, excuse me, these names sound so familiar, you get them... If you're dyslexic, you can have a problem. I don't really think I'm dyslexic, but uh, so there's going to be some issues. But notice in verse nine. So his servant um, conspired. He was he was in Tirza, drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza. And I was thinking about this today: how power and alcohol they never mix well, do they? They never mix well. And we'll see the same thing over and over and over again. And we see it even today. And in Proverbs, it tells us in chapter 20, verse 1, that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is a brawler. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.